five are not going to satisfy a serial killer, right? There is no, no, there would be no actual number. It would be until you got called. We are not like other shows. I don't want to be rude, but I'm going to be rude because you know how I am. Wasn't a very pleasant looking woman. I'm not trying to be a bitch, but just saying. She was not a high class lady in the night. Uh, I know it looked like terrible. some shit that you did in Kitty Corral school. Like, what? Fucking <laughs> awful. Of course, he knows where she's buried, and it wasn't long after that. Like, he's like, I'm digging this bitch up. I need her vulva. And in 2003, Nancy filed for divorce and issued a restraining order. You want to smoke or vape? Even vaping is not allowed in the facility. You have to go outside. A whole new level of horrific. There was much you could do to change it, to be honest. Hello, welcome to the Year Run Podcast, True Crime. My name is Scott, and today I'm going to be doing something I haven't done for a while. I'm going to be hosting a show all on my own. Um, as most of you who listen regularly know, Heather is on maternity leave, so she's doing dirty nappies and breastfeeding and all that kind of wild stuff. Um, Lisa, my other half, had been stepping in and filling in for episodes while Heather was away. Um, but unfortunately, due to extra hours she had to work for her real-world job, um, she couldn't commit the time to do the full investigation into this case. Um, Lisa does caring for the elderly, in case anyone's interested. Um, so today you just get me. Don't panic. I have gone over this case more times than I could possibly explain to you. Um, if you've never listened to the show before, we're a true crime podcast delivered in a, a less Wikipedia style way. Um, I'm not just going to sit here and go... And then they went into the bedroom. And then that's not that's not what you get here. Um, I will share the facts of this case, but I'll also share my thoughts and my opinions as I go. The other thing that's different about this show to other true crime podcasts is the involvement from all of you. So we do true crime polls on Instagram. Uh, they come out on the third of each month and you get to choose what case we cover next. Well, normally we do. This episode, we didn't do that. And that's because I got contacted by one of our regular listeners, Sarah. Um, hi, Sarah. Thank you for listening to this episode, too. Uh, sorry, it's just me. Um, Sarah contacted me and she suggested a case and offered it to us to investigate. Um, when I read through, I kind of done a quick Google search and I had a quick scan of the case. Now, ah, this is fairly cut and dry. This is it seems quite interesting, but this seems a fairly straightforward case to to cover. So I messaged Sarah back gleefully and went, oh, I'll cover this case. This is great. Really, really good. My God, I had no idea this case would swallow an entire, well, over a month of my life. And it genuinely has. Sarah, thank you so, so much for this case. Um, so I started looking into this the day that Sarah requested it. Um, this episode is released on the 1st of April. I am recording this right now on the 31st of March. And the reason for that is not because I'm being lazy or because I forgot or because I'm just doing everything last minute. It's because this morning I was still investigating this case and trying to get my head around it. Um, it's a very special episode when a listener requests a case, especially this time, because it's the first time it's ever happened. Um, but you can do that here. If you want a case, email us at you run podcast. No, not contact us on Instagram at you run podcast or email us. You run podcast at gmail.com. 
Um, this case is still getting media attention today. It involves missing people, murder, dismembered bodies and a legal battle for over a hundred million dollars worth of estate. Now, this is still an ongoing case. And for that reason, I'm going to say now that any opinions I share on this show or on Extended Cut are exactly that. They are my opinions. They are based on what I have seen, what I have read and what I have discovered. No malice or ill intent is meant by any of my comments, and I aim to portray the facts as accurately as they are available to me, and I do not in any way mean to incriminate anyone who is alive or past in any way, shape or form. That's that bit done. Let's do the other bit. Uh, this episode contains strong language, adult themes and discussions, discussions surrounding murder and other criminal activities. If you are easily offended and do not wish to hear about these subjects, now is the time for you to tune out. And I have to do that because we've now had multiple complaints that we've discussed murder and mayhem on previous episodes on a true crime podcast. Who would have thought it? Mad. Um, so, yes, this is an adult show. It has got an explicit logo wherever you're listening to it. I do swear like a trooper. I do discuss murder. I do discuss crimes. I do discuss all those things. And if that's not your cup of tea, thank you very much for listening to the opening of the show. Have a lovely day. Now I've covered all the bits that are going to get me in trouble. Um, today, as I said, we're covering a listen request sent in by Sarah. This is a co case involving a member of a super wealthy family, a man who is shrouded in mystery. And He's just since the his wife disappeared in 1982. And this guy's just an enigma. Um, he subsequently murdered a friend and a neighbor, um, having only passed away in January of last year, where legal battles are still going on. Even this month so in March 2023, there is a case being heard to decide the future of his fortune. Today, I am looking at Robert Durst. The Jinx. Next week, as part of an unusual plea deal, Durst will admit to a gun charge. That plea deal will ultimately land him in a Los Angeles courtroom on trial for the murder of his best friend. Now 72-year-old Durst is pushing to be in a California courtroom by August to prove his innocence. Like O.J. Simpson, Robert Blake, and the man who called himself Clark Rockefeller, his trial will likely cause a sensation. Today was the first of what will be a lifetime of days in prison for real estate heir Robert Durst. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for murdering a friend who'd been asking too many questions about the mysterious disappearance of Durst's former wife. Robert Durst, guilty of a crime of first-degree murder. State prison officials tell us Durst died early this morning at a hospital in San Joaquin County where he was being treated for a number of medical maladies. He had just been sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in California and was expected to face another murder trial in New York with the disappearance of his first wife in 1982. So first things first, who is Robert Durst? Um, so Robert Durst was born in New York in 1943. This guy was born into wealth, and I'm talking like marble floor wealth. This guy was minted. Um, his father, Seymour, was a real estate mogul worth millions. Um, Seymour had four children, Robert being the eldest of the four. Now, Seymour had inherited the business from his father, 
Um, and he'd built it into a multi-million dollar business called the Durst Organization, which is still trading to this day. Um, founded in 1915, the company began life small, as, as all companies do. Uh, in 1929, they bought their first property. And in the 1950s, they shifted into property development. They have worked on some massive, super impressive developments in their time. Uh, they've done several projects on Third Avenue in New York. They've done four times square, which is like a 1200 foot high skyscraper, which has got all sorts of business. I think ESPN have got a couple of floors. Disney have got like four floors in there. But these, this is a massive, massive construction company. We're not talking like building your three bedroom semi-detached house. This is multi-million dollar skyscrapers. The company today has an estimated fortune of $8.1 billion. So I'm not kidding. They are big, big, big company. Hence why everything I'm saying on this episode is opinion based only. Uh, and I mean no ill intent or malice or anything like that, because I don't want to get sued. Um, now, we know very little about Robert Durst's upbringing. Um, we know for a fact that his mother committed suicide when he was around seven years old. Um, and she'd done this by jumping the from the roof of their Scarsdale home. Um, in later interviews, Robert Durst has claimed that he witnessed this, saying that his dad walked into the window. Uh, this is a fact his younger brother denies. And I'll be honest, I, I don't buy it. I don't think any dad would walk their child to watch their mum commit suicide. I, I don't get that. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. Um, both brothers underwent counselling sessions following the tragic death of their mum. In the psychiatrist notes, they say that um, Durst displayed personality decomposition and possible, possibly even schizophrenia. As far as I can find out, he didn't receive treatment for any of these or either of these as a child. Um, he attended a public school, which I'll be honest, shocked me. I was expecting this to be private preppy boy all day long, but it's not. Um, at school, he was described as a bit of a loner and a little bit weird. I'm learning about true crime as, as this show develops. Anyone who doesn't listen regularly, I don't like true crime. It's, I, I do this because it's something I want to learn more about. And I'm learning something and I've learned something now that if someone's described as a loner and a bit weird about as a kid, that seems to be a trait for serial killers. It was with Dharma. It's with loads of cases we've done. This is a a trait that killers tend to have. And I find it just strange that that's just a thing. Um, so remember, be nice to the weird kid at school. You, it may come in handy later in life. Um, Robert Durst graduated university in 1965 with a bachelor's degree in economics. Uh, he was also a member of the lacrosse team, um, not coming from the States. I didn't know what lacrosse was. I had to hit Google. Um, that is the most mental sport I've ever seen. It's like if rugby, American football, hockey and catch had a baby. It's brutal and incredibly interesting to watch. Um, but I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. Sorry. Um, on top of this, he also managed the U university's newspaper. Um, he did enroll for further education at the University of California, where he met Susan Berman, um, but he dropped out and went back to New York in 1969. Now, unlike other cases that get weird later, um, this case gets weird from here. Um, get comfy. This case is bonkers. I'm bonkers beyond anything we've ever done. So Susan Berman, um, who he, he become friends with in um, California, 
uh, was the daughter of David Berman, which some of you true crime buffs may recognise that name. Um, if you do, it's because he was a mobster. And I mean a real life, genuine New York gangster. So much so we could do an entire episode just on him. So he was a kidnapper, an enforcer. He run illegal gambling. He run all sorts of crazy shit in New York. Um, he'd done a stint in Sing Sing prison. This guy was legit scary, like super scary. Um, now, Susan is very integral to this case as we go further through. But for now, all you need to know is that she was Robert Durst's friend. That's it. That's all you need to know for now. Um, so after moving back to New York, Durst was invited to be part of the family business. And he didn't take it. He didn't want to be part of the family business. He wanted to do his own thing. Um, so he opened up a small health food, health food store in Vermont, um, which is where he moved to. Uh, it was here that Durst would meet his future wife, Kathleen McCormack. Um, Kathleen was a dental hygienist. And after only two dates, he asked her to move in with him. And she agreed. The 70s were wild. Can you imagine that happening today? Going on two dates and then moving in with someone. That, that's just mad for me. I mean, me and Lisa have been together for decade plus, and I don't even know if I'm grown up to live with someone now, let alone after two dates. That's crazy to me. Anyway, she did move in with him, um, but their time in Vermont was really, really short. So Durst's father wanted to him to come home and he was pressuring him to come back to New York. And in 1973, Durst gave in and him and Kathleen moved back. They sold the store and were married in 1971 in april that year um, and they were actually married on durst's 30th birthday now robert durst and kathleen did not have a happy marriage it's reported they argued frequently screaming shouting matches and kathleen goes missing in early 1982 but before this she'd been admitted into the emergency room um, with marks and bruises on her face claiming that durst had hit her um, she did not press any charges. Now, as for her disappearance, this is where things get really strange. In January 1982, she arrived at a friend's house and she was dressed in sweatpants, which her friend said is incredibly strange. They were a wealthy family. They were they were well to do. She did not go out in sweatpants. Um, she said she was distressed and she received a phone call from Robert Durst while she was there and she allegedly headed home. Before she left, she'd arranged to meet her friend in the Lionsgate pub in Manhattan. She never arrived the following day to do that. Now, at this time, the couple were actually living separate, which is not something you'll get out of most documentaries on this. Um, they were living in separate apartments and Durst had been dating someone called Prudence Farrow for almost three years. Um, Kathleen wanted a divorce and she had asked Durst for a settlement of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Durst didn't like that. He refused, flat out refused. And he went one step further. Not only said you can't have a divorce, you can't have that money. He stopped her credit cards and removed her from the joint account. When Kathleen didn't turn up at the Lionsgate pub, her friend went to the police, said, look, my friend's not turned up. It would take Robert Durst a further week to officially report her missing. Now, from what I've seen, there's nothing that leads me to believe that Durst was necessarily involved with this. Yes, he was potentially a woman beating arsehole. 
he was incredibly spiteful around money and the divorce and everything else. But it doesn't lead me to believe that he disappeared her. Um, it, it just, it, nothing makes me think that he's particularly, he's an arsehole and he's a bad man, but nothing makes me think that he's killed her or done anything untoward at this point. Um, Durst even put $100,000 up for reward um, for her safe return. Um, he later, I don't know what the time frame was on this, but he later reduced that to $15,000. Um, it's quite a drop, isn't it? I don't know if that was after a period of time or if that was a, he went, $100,000 to return my ex. And then sat there and went, actually, no, $15,000 to return my ex. How much would you want to return your ex? Um, call into the show. You can do that. Uh, all you need to do is go to Instagram. You can leave us an audio DM. We're at You Run Podcast. Um, alternatively, you can go and record a TikTok and tag us, and we can use that audio on the air as well. That was fairly seamless. I was quite pleased with that. Um, now, when her friends, Kathleen's friends, found out that she had reported, she was reported missing, um, they went looking for her, and they went and broke into her cottage. Um, the reason they broke into their cottage is they wanted to find if there was any clues as to where she might have gone or, or what might have actually happened. They found the place had been ransacked. All their mail was unopened and lots of her belongings were put in the bin. Now, this instantly makes me think that Kathleen just ran away. She'd had enough of the abusive, what is quite blatantly an abusive and volatile relationship. She'd had enough of arguing about money. She packed some shit and went bye-bye. But I have been wrong many, many times before. Um, so, yeah, hold on to the end of the episode. We'll see how accurate I am with that prediction. Um, Durst, as you would expect, was high on potential suspect lists from the police. And they had a deposition where they discussed all the things and they went through everything. Um, his friend Susan Berman, we spoke about her earlier, um, she was his alibi the dates that his wife went missing um she was one step further than his alibi she basically was a public spokeswoman for him at the deposition she she run the show and you can listen to some of these deposition tapes online she was literally robert was with me this is what we were doing and it, it's very it's a hundred percent everyone at that deposition believed every word she said eight years after her disappearance um durst divorced kathleen and he'd done it for spousal abandonment, um, which I'm guessing cost him considerably less than $250,000, which is what she'd wanted in a divorce settlement. So looking at this as far as we are, there's nothing overly strange. There's a missing wife. There's a friend who claims she was with him. Um, it's 1990. And all was good for Durst and Berman. And this is how it stayed. So the deposition ended in 1990. And it, kind of, it was all cool. Everything was great. Right up until Christmas Eve 2000. So it was Christmas Eve 2000. Berman was discovered having been murdered execution style in our home in California. Police were called after neighbours saw that her front door was open and one of her dogs was running loose in, in the garden. Now, given who her father was... And the links that were there to organised crime in New York, you'd be forgiven for thinking that this had something to do with it. This was a mob-style assassination um, that took place 
in the home of the daughter of a former mob boss. This is something that this could be rival families. This could be any of that. But you'd be mistaken. You'd be wrong. A hundred percent, you'd be wrong. Um, a few weeks prior to her death, um, prior to Berman's death, Kathleen's friends had petitioned uh, Jenny Pirro. Um, and she was the county county district attorney who who dealt with the disappearance case. And they petitioned her to reopen the case. And she agreed to open Kathleen's missing persons case again. Um, they urged her to go and speak to Susan Berman. As they said, that, that she they know she knew more than she let on in the deposition back in 82. Now, that on its own, uh, yeah, it's not enough for murder. Um, but now let's couple this with some strange banking information that the police found. So they found two financial transactions totaling $50,000 that went from Durst to Berman. They also found a letter from Berman to Durst saying she hoped their financial disputes would not ruin their long-standing friendship. I don't get it. Hush money? I, I, I don't understand. She was going to talk and she was going to say what she said was a lie. I, I don't understand. Um, Durst was questioned by police, as rightfully so. Um, and he, he said, yeah, I sent her some money. Said I even sent her a copy of the 1982 deposition that she she said I sent her the copies of the, all the files. Um, I was even in L.A. the night before you found her body. But that was not enough to get a warrant to basically arrest him to question him. Um, and after he'd given this initial information, he refused to discuss things further. And the case was at a standstill. At this time, there was also a letter sent to the Beverly Hills Police Department and it was postmarked the 23rd of December and it had Berman's address on it and inside it written cadaver. Um, the word Beverly in Beverly Hills was spelt incorrectly. That's important later. Let's jump forward a year. Um, we're going to meet Durst's neighbour. Um, this is a guy called Morris Black. Uh, and when I say meet, um, his dismembered body was found floating in Galveston Bay. Um, yeah, bizarre. Told you this case was crazy. Um, shortly after this, Durst was arrested on the 9th of October and he was held in custody and questioned, later being bailed for $250,000. Uh, he was bailed to appear in court on the 16th of October that year. And surprise, surprise, he didn't show up. Who would have thunk it? Uh, a warrant was issued for his arrest, and in late November, he was picked up in a supermarket trying to steal some bandages, a newspaper, and a sandwich. Uh, get this. He had $500 in his pocket, but he was stealing. Um, he also had a rental car outside that had a further $37,000 in cash, uh, two guns, and some weed. He also had Morris Black's ID and the address and directions to Kathleen's friend's home who got the disappearance case reopened. Clear cut. This is clear cut as I need it. Uh, funnily enough, he was remanded in custody until his trial in 2003. Now, I've said so many times on this show, and I keep saying it, we do not cover trials because they are boring. They are dull. They are very information driven. They are the epitome of a Wikipedia true crime podcast. And then the judge said this as he looked at Exhibit A. Uh, and we don't do that. But this trial has to feature 
no if buts or maybes it cannot be missed there's a couple of reasons number one it is the most batshit insane example of how fucked up the american legal system is in my opinion um and two it's not even close to being the end of this case this isn't even close to being over um so Durst was charged with premeditated murder of morris black which i feel is fair at this point Durst employed dick de Gurin, um as his defense attorney i'm not gonna tell you too much about dick um oh, double entendre uh, i'm not gonna tell you too much about dick's career Let's just say he is the guy. If you are on a murder trial or any sort of trial, this is the defense attorney you want stood next to you. I Honestly, go and Google him. Uh, go and have a look on Wikipedia and have a look back through his case history, the people he's defended and the outcomes he's had. This guy is he is the shit. Um, so Dick claimed that the murder had happened in self-defense. It was actually an accident. So what he says happened is Durst had gone to visit Morris. Morris was grumpy and he was confrontational and they had a heated discussion when Morris grabbed his target pistol. There was a struggle and in the struggle, the gun went off, killed Morris. Okay, I buy that. I'm sure that that's something that happens numerous times. There's a struggle and someone ends up unalived. That that's a thing. That that's a thing in every city, in every town, everywhere across the world. What doesn't happen in every city and every town across the world is what happened next. Durst admitted to dismembering his body with an axe, two saws, and a paring knife before disposing of it in bags in Galveston Bay. The American legal system is terrifying and confusing. So Morris's head was never recovered. And because of this, the prosecution could not prove that Durst claimed that the struggle was a lie. So they needed to prove that there was not a struggle to prove that it was Durst just killing him. Because they couldn't prove this, Durst was acquitted of murder. And in my opinion, a murder he quite blatantly convicted. He was acquitted in 2003. Um, he was kept in custody for other charges surrounding what had, had happened in now what is deemed as an accidental death. In 2004, Durst and his legal team struck a deal and he pled guilty to jumping bail. He pled guilty to evidence tampering. Now, when I say evidence tampering, you're thinking of, oh, he hid a bit of evidence. No, his evidence tampering was the cutting up and disposing of Morris's body. They deemed that as evidence tampering. Fuck, oh, come on. Um, he was sentenced to five years, which I don't think is enough. And then two years were taken off for time he'd already served. In 2005, he was paroled. It's mad. This guy literally got away with murder. Um, there were conditions to his parole. One of the conditions was that he could not travel without permission. Um, he ignored this and he went on a road trip to go and see where Morris was killed and visit a local shopping mall in the area. He was spotted and he was spotted by the judge who presided over his case. I bet he had an old fuck moment when he saw that judge. He was like, oh, shit. Oh, no. Um, and an even bigger old fuck moment when they slammed him back in prison until 2006, the parole violation. Um. We're going to step away from the case just for a second. So 
we're going to talk about all the good things that came out in 2010. Uh, this is the movie that starred Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst. Um, lovely, lovely movie. Bit of a crime thriller. Crime thriller with a love story. Um, this movie is about Durst's life in the 1970s when he owned a health food shop, which, as you guessed, it was called All the Good Things. Um, Durst watched this. Durst loved it. Thought it was the best thing in the whole wide world. And he reached out to the director, uh, Andrew Jarrake. This led to the director and Durst having long discussions about the potential of a documentary to cover his life. Um, Durst even wanted to appear in this documentary. This became realisation in 2015 when the jinx, the life and deaths of Robert Durst, hit our screens on HBO. And it's because of this documentary's involvement in the case that I completely avoided it and did not watch it. As soon as I saw that this documentary was an integral part, I didn't watch it. And I didn't watch it on purpose because I didn't want it to sway my opinions in any way, shape or form. So during the production, lots of family members of Durst through, throughout Durst's life were contacted by the show to, to give interviews and, and things like that. Uh, one of these was Susan Berman's son, um, who went looking through her old things and old letters, and he found a letter from Durst. Now, in this letter, the, the address on it was Beverly Hills. And guess what was spelt wrong? Beverly. When producers realised that they may be holding on to a piece of integral evidence in a murder case. They didn't sit on it, which surprised me. I'll be honest. It surprised me they didn't sit on that. Um, instead, they took it to the district attorney's office in L.A. The FBI arrested Durst on the same day the final episode of the show was broadcast. Talk about create a media storm around your show. Um, the final shots of the series showed Durst moving into a bathroom and the mic was picking up several ramblings that appeared to be him incriminating himself. Now, it wasn't until 2019 that we found out that these had been edited out of order and they made him sound worse than he actually was. And this is where my problem lies with most 99% of TV documentaries. Editing is a powerful tool and it can be used to make people appear good or bad or angry or sad. You can literally manipulate things how you want it. Um, for example, we do interviews on shows. So I've got multiple podcasts. I've got this. I've got horror movie review. Uh, I've got horror movie news and we've got YouTube as well. With a little bit of creative editing, I can make a guest sound like a lovely person. Um, which I've had to do because we've had some not so nice people over the years. Um, and by the same token, I can make the nicest person in the world sound like the biggest asshole. The other issue I've got with documentaries is we never, ever get an unbiased opinion, ever. They'll say it's unbiased and it's straight down the middle. But what we evidently get every time is we get the view and the perspective of the director, the production team or both. And that is the narrative they push. So it will always lean one way or the other, even if it's only slightly. Um, Durst was arrested in New Orleans, where he was booked into a hotel under the false name of Everett Ward. He'd been tracked to the hotel because he was calling from the hotel to check his voicemail. What can I say? He's, he's an old man. He doesn't, doesn't check his, his voicemail how we do. 
Um, he was arrested. And these are the things the police found when they arrested him. So they found a 38 caliber revolver with four bullets and a spent round and the casing. Uh, four ounces of weed, a birth certificate and a passport. Uh, maps of Louisiana. Um, so he's out there in your country, Heather, out there having a nosy round where you are. Uh, they found a map of Florida and Cuba, a skin toned latex mask, which honestly is the creepiest fucking thing you'll ever see. Um, if you're listening to this on the 1st of April, I'll stick it on my story so you could see it. It's disgusting. Um, the fake ID he used to check into the hotel and over $40,000 in cash. Police also found a UPS tracking number that when they tracked that down, led them to a further $117,000 in cash and a pair of shoes that were on their way to him that were sent to him by a friend. In less than a month, Durst had taken out of his accounts over $300,000 in cash, and it was believed that he planned to flee to Cuba following the release of the show. Now, the reason he chose Cuba is they don't have an extradition treaty with the US. So if he went there, the US would never, ever, ever get him back. I'm going to say it, this was never proven. This is only a theory that that's what he planned on doing. But given all the evidence that they found, it kind of all totals up to he was going somewhere. He was either going to Cuba or he was going to visit Heather. And I'm swaying with the police on this. He was he was off the Cuba. Um. There were various charges filed um, by Louisiana authorities uh, relating to firearm offences, nothing to do with anything else, just just firearm offences. Um, and this led to a bit of a pissing match uh, between jurisdictions as to who had authority and what case he was going to be trialled for first. And it was all very messy and, if I'm honest, a bit dull. Uh, long and short of it, he was remanded in custody awaiting trial for the murder of Suzanne Berman. Let's return to form. Uh, this trial can do one. Um, I'll give you the cliff notes. That's all you need on this trial. Uh, the trial began in March 2020. So only three years ago. Um, almost immediately brought to a um, crashing end uh, because of that. Do you remember that COVID pandemic thing that went on for a couple of years, then vanished? Yeah, that uh, that brought it to an end. Uh, it was delayed again due to his poor health. He wasn't very well. And it was around this time when he wasn't very well that he tried to fake dementia. Um, he miserably failed, but he tried to fake dementia and say he wasn't fit for trial. He wanted uh, to be put into a mental health facility as opposed to prison, but that it didn't go well for him. Uh, in September 2021, he was found guilty of murder and faced life imprisonment. And his legal team started the process of launching appeals. Um, and all their appeals were based on one thing. Everything was circumstantial. There was not, and this is fact, there was not a shred of physical evidence linking Durst to the murder of Susan Berman. Um, Durst was sentenced to life in prison and his appeal was never, ever heard as he died of a heart attack in January of 2022. I am a big fan of evidence in cases. And looking across everything, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence tying Durst to the crime in which he was convicted. That being said, I don't think he was innocent. Absolutely not. I believe his list of victims is much larger than I've discussed on this episode. I believe Durst to have been a serial killer with multiple victims to his name. 
I think he had many issues with surrounding mental illness. Um, I don't think he should have been acquitted for the murder of Morris Black. He definitely killed Morris Black, in my opinion. Um, this case is still ongoing, and it's ongoing with what will become of Durst's rather large financial estate. And there is a lot that I've not covered on this episode. And there is a very, very good reason why. Um, we have extended cap. And thank fuck for extended cap, because this case, I need it. And I think for the first time ever, extended cap will probably exceed the runtime of the main show. In extended cap, we're going to play a game called Follow the Money, where we're going to track down the money that travelled around Durst, because there was a lot of it. Um, I'm going to look at other potential victims of Durst and delve into who knew and why I don't think they come forward. As always on Extended Cut, you're going to get information of where you can learn more about the case. I know we've covered the main kind of documentary and the movie in this episode, but there's loads more. Um, which brings me to the power of editing I spoke about earlier. As I said, I have not watched the movie or the or the TV show. Uh, by HBO by the time this episode goes to air. I will have completed both by the end of Extended Cut. And the reason I've done it this way is I want to see if my opinions change. So I've been very clear in what I've said on this episode. I think he was a serial killer. I don't think he was confined to the cases, we've the, the things we've spoken about in this episode. I want to see after I've watched the Ryan Gosling movie. I never have watched a Ryan Gosling movie. Oh, it's something new. Uh, I want to see after I've watched that and after I've watched the jinx on HBO, whether my opinions change. Um, but until then, thank you so much for listening. Sarah, thank you so much for suggesting this absolutely insane case that has boggled my mind since I first started looking at it. Um, go and give us a review wherever you can. Don't forget to vote on the next case on the 3rd of April. Um, there's some really big cases in there this time as well, including the Manson murderers or the Manson murders. Um, thank you again. I hope you all have a wonderful couple of weeks and I will be back for Extended Cut on the 15th of April. Five are not going to satisfy a serial killer, right? There is no, no, there would be no actual number. It would be until you got called. We are not like other shows. I don't want to be rude, but I'm going to be rude because you know how I am. Wasn't a very pleasant looking woman. I'm not trying to be a bitch, but just saying. She was not a high class. Lady of the uh, I know it looked like terrible. some shit that you did in Kitty Corral school. Like, what? Fucking <laughs> awful. Of course, he knows where she's buried, and it wasn't long after that. Like, he's like, I'm digging this bitch up. I need her vulva. And in 2003, Nancy filed for divorce and issued a restraining order. You want to smoke or vape? Even vaping is not allowed in the facility. You have to go outside. A whole new level of horrific. There was much you could do to change it, to be honest. <laughs>